Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In episode 140 of the Guitar Music Theory podcast, I have another installment of How Does This Song Work? featuring the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot. Greetings, guitar engineers. Welcome to the Guitar Music Theory Podcast. I am your host, Desi Serna. And today I have another installment of How Does This Song Work? featuring The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot. So this song makes use of a capo, sus2 chords, alternate bass notes, mixolydian mode, plus some half-step and whole-step bends. In addition to discussing it here in my audio-only podcast, I also made a video lesson that you can find on my social media profiles. Just search for Desi Cerna Guitar on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Or you might just search Edmund Fitzgerald plus my name Desi Cerna on any one of those platforms and the video should come up. In the video, I provide some tablature and chord, diagram, chord diagrams and I show you the basic acoustic guitar chords and parts and I walk you through the lead guitar parts as well. But here in the podcast, uh, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to talk about the music theory and how the song is composed and the key and the chords and the scales and all that good stuff. But before we dive in, what do you specifically need to be working on right now in order to become a better guitar player? Go to my website, guitarmusictheory.com, answer the question I ask you about your playing, and I'll send you free custom video instruction that is calibrated to your current level. Whether you're a beginner that still needs to learn the basics, or you need help with bar chords, uh, finger picking, playing lead guitar, or you want to delve deeply into music theory, I have a free video course for you. I'll put you on a plan to fill gaps in your knowledge, so you can fill gaps in your playing, so you can move forward and reach your music goals. So go to guitarmusictheory.com now to enroll in your free video course. You can click on the link in the podcast show notes. All right, so we are ready to dive in. So um, I had actually been meaning to do a lesson on this song for a while just because I'm a, I'm a fan of it and I like its sound. Um, and then with Gordon Lightfoot's recent passing, I thought, well, what, what better time than to uh, 
talk about uh, one of his songs. Um, I'm not only a fan of this song, but this, this song is, I guess, maybe somewhat more meaningful to me because I grew up in the Great Lakes region. Um, and I thought it might be a little interesting to talk about uh, my hometown in that area before we actually get into the music lesson here. But I uh, grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and um, it's all the way at the top of Ohio, on uh, the northern um, edge there of Ohio, just below the Michigan border, just below Detroit, Michigan. Sits right at the um, um, edge of Lake Erie, which is one of the Great Lakes. And basically, the state of Michigan was kind of my backyard growing up. So um, for uh, so during the summers, I used to spend time on Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. And of course, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald occurred in Lake Superior. And it's a, it was a uh, cargo, a freighter ship, rather, that transferred iron ore um, between different ports in the United States and Canada. And so it uh, traveled from down to Detroit and through the Great Lakes, because they're all kind of uh, interconnected there. Uh, in case you didn't know. A lot of people who are not from that area of the United States don't realize that that we have these massive like ocean size lakes up there um, and that Michigan is just surrounded by that uh, coastline. So I used to spend, I had, growing up I had family that had a lake house uh, on Bass Lake in Pentwater, Michigan on the western side of Michigan. So I would spend time in Pentwater and Ludington and Silver Lake and Bass Lake and um, at Lake Michigan, and then I traveled north to like um, a vacation to um, Traverse City, uh, Petoskey, Harbor Springs. I used to play some gigs up there because I worked for a agency out of um, Detroit uh, that used to book engagements all over Michigan uh, for me. I never traveled to Mackinac Island, but uh, later when I got married, my wife's family had property in Oscoda, Michigan, which is on Lake Huron. So we used to spend every summer up there. We would kayak the Asable River that outlets into uh, Lake Huron. And of course, I've been in Lake Erie. Um, and when I was a teenager, me and some buddies uh, used to love to take road trips and find interesting places, inter interesting destinations. And one year we chose to... Uh, drive to Lake Itasca in northern Minnesota, which is the source of the Mississippi River. And then we also, uh, oh, would we have traveled over to Duluth, uh, uh, Lake Superior? Um, since we had been, and I think all of the other Great Lakes, except for maybe Ontario, I can't remember, we decided we wanted to um, cross Lake Superior off our, our list. But when we got there, it was just so ice cold that we really couldn't get in and really spend any time in it, even though it was, it was summertime. If you ever see pictures um, of like Northern Michigan and, and some of the lakes around there, some of the inland lakes, but then also the Great Lakes, it's very beautiful and it looks wonderful. Um, but what you don't necessarily see from the pictures is that even in the middle of summer, the water up there is ice cold. Um, but it's still beautiful. I never really was an angler or a fisherman or anything. Uh, you know, that's kind of a big deal up in those parts when you're surrounded by uh, lakes of uh, that size. Um, I don't think I've been to Lake Ontario. I've been to, you know, Niagara Falls. I can't remember if I would have traveled up to spend time on Lake Ontario or not. I'm not sure. But I've been in all of the other Great Lakes or uh, been to them. And in the case of Lake Michigan and Lake Huron and Lake Erie, uh, I actually spent uh, quite a bit um, of time there. So um, as I was looking up 
just Googling to get some information about this song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, I didn't realize that it actually hit number one on the national charts. Um, I had kind of assumed maybe it was just like a regional hit song because um, of the Great Lakes there and its significance with the ship going down in, in Lake Superior and stuff. But um, apparently more people are familiar with it. So um, <clears throat> some other interesting connection I have to it is that um, I had an uncle, Uncle Domingo Serna, who used to work as a longshoreman. Uh, so he was employed at ports to load and unload ships. And apparently for several years he worked on ships, including uh, he would have been aboard the Edmund Fitzgerald prior to its sinking. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of an interesting uh, family connection that I have. And I'm sure that my cousins, uh, Domingo Serna's uh, children, are very glad that he was not aboard the Edmund Fitzgerald when it sank in uh, 1975. So I did some Googling here, just get some more information on the song, um, and I come up with this. The song tells the story of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, a bulk carrier freighter that sank in Lake Superior on November 10th, 1975, with the loss of all 29 crew members. The lyrics were based on the events leading up to the disaster and describe the treacherous conditions on the lake, the ship's crew and their families, and the final moments of the ship as it sank to the bottom of the lake. According to my cousin Gina, she said that her father, Domingo, uh, did tell her about a time where he thought he was going to die. He got stuck in a, uh, a storm on Lake Superior on a, on a ship that was apparently pretty treacherous. So, um, <laughs> so it's, it, it, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you know, Lake Superior is one of the largest, deepest, I think, freshwater lakes in the world. It's practically like an ocean. And I suppose because of its uh, location, the, the, uh, you can get some crazy weather up there, apparently. Obviously, because there's also like over 500 shipwrecks or something in, in uh, uh, Lake Superior. Anyway, just uh, continuing with some of the information I pulled off of line. Um, it says the song is known for its haunting melody and poignant lyrics as it, and is considered one of Lightfoot's most famous and enduring compositions. It has been covered by numerous other artists over the years, including Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan, and Sarah McLaughlin. I didn't know that. Um, I might have to go look up those other versions. Anyway, that's a little bit of background about, um, well, my hometown, Toledo, Ohio. I live in the, I'm recording this in the Nashville, Tennessee area right now. Um, where I've been for several years. Um, a little bit of background on the Great Lakes and that uh, region and the Edmund Fitzgerald, but let's get into the music now. All right, so I'm just going to talk about the two basic parts. That's going to be the acoustic guitar chords and then the electric lead part. Um, I think that the song may have been recorded with a 12-string guitar. I'm just playing a no normal six-string acoustic guitar here. I'm playing it through my Kemper profiling amplifier and using like a profile that was based off of the Fishman Aura Spectrum uh, DI. Um, and I got a little bit of reverb on there just to bring it to life. Um, I'm capoed at the second fret, but you know what I want to do? I'm going to actually take the capo off and just play this without play this in a, a different key, a whole step lower, 
um, because it's going to be so much easier so I don't have to like refer to a D shape, which is actually an E or a, uh, you know, an F sharp minor or an E minor shape, which is actually F sharp minor and blah, 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 all that. So let's just pretend that we are playing without a, well, let's, let's not pretend at all. Let's play without a capo. That's our new key. All right, so let's talk about the chords here. Th those are the chords in the intro, and then in the verses. Can I sing this low? Uh, the, the, le the legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Ditchigoo. Let's actually start with this verse. So we've got. So the chords I'm playing here are A sus2, E minor, G, D, and then back to A sus2. So the question first is, what key is this in? Well, you might say it's in the key of A, because that's our primary chord there, our tonic. It's where everything starts and where it comes back to. Um, is it A major or is it A minor? Ah, well, this is where things actually get kind of tricky because we don't have a major third at all. We're playing a sus2. So that's where you, sus means you are suspending the third. So there is no third in this chord, major or minor. Instead, we just have a root, fifth, and a second. A root, fifth, and a second. A sus2. So what's interesting about this type of chord is that it's ambiguous. Is it major, is it minor? Well, it's neither, it's sus2. The third has been suspended. So are we in the key of A major or are we in the key of A minor? Well, we might need to look um, to the other chords to figure that out. Let's assume that we were in the key of A major. So let's think about our A major scale. And let's think about our, our common chords. We'd have A major, D major, and E major, one, four, five. Um, well, already we have a problem a major has an E major chord in it, but I used E minor. I also used G. Um, and there's no G in the A major scale. There's a G sharp, but there's no G. Um, okay, so apparently it's not A major. Oh, it must be A minor then, okay? Let's play an A minor chord. So if we play an A minor, and we think about the A natural minor scale and its chords, uh, a minor, the key of A minor has a G in it. It also has an E minor in it. Ah, so we're getting close. Oh, but wait a minute. The key of A minor does not have a D major in it. It has a D minor in it. So it's got an F natural in the scale, not an F sharp that you would need for the D chord. Okay, so it's not A minor. Maybe it's in one of these other keys and we're, we're borrowing some chords uh, or something. Or maybe it's in another mode. Um, so whenever I play an A chord and then I go down a whole step to another major chord, or actually whenever I play any major chord and I go down a whole step, that's a flat seven interval and I know that occurs in mixolydian mode. So maybe this is mixolydian mode. So that would mean that we're actually playing out of the D scale, but we are rooted off of the fifth degree, A. 
So we're using notes and chords from the D scale, but we're centering on its fifth degree A. That would make A mixolydian mode, in which case we would have A major. We'd also have E minor. Perfect. We'd have G major, and we'd have D. Because all those chords are from the D major scale, so they're in A mixolydian mode, which is based on the same notes. Okay, so this must be um, A mixolydian mode. Wait a minute. It could actually be possibly one other mode. It could be a Dorian mode. That would be the G major scale. And we're rooted off of the its second degree, A, A minor. So maybe it maybe the if we were gonna play that A chord as a full major or minor chord, maybe it's supposed to be minor and the rest of the chords come out of the A Dorian scale, which, is, um, which comes out of the G major scale, in which case, you know, the G scale has E minor, it has G, and it has D. So, okay, so it could be A Dorian mode. So uh, there isn't anything about the chords that indicate whether it's major or minor. The difference here is, does the music have a C note in it? If so, then that, that would complete an A minor chord. Or does it have a C sharp in it? If so, that would make the A um, major with the C sharp in there, a major third. The guitar is not doing it, but are there other clues in the lead line? I'm going to play the lead line on the uh, electric guitar here in a moment. Let me just play it on the acoustic while I have the acoustic in my hand. So... Well, actually, let me... <laughs> I went to the original key. Oops, let's go to the key that we're playing in here. All right, well, guess what? That lead line never played a C or a C sharp. It just completely stayed away from uh, any third major or minor. So, shoot. That doesn't really fill in the blanks for us, for us to figure out what is this key, what is this scale. Um, if you listen to the bass, there is a little bit of movement on the bass there, some root and fifth movement on some of the chords, but the bass never plays a C sharp, a C or a C sharp either. So just going off of the acoustic guitar, the lead guitar, and the bass, and the vocal melody too. The vocal melody is like... Uh, Uh, so like the legend lives on from 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 the Ch Chippewa on down of the big lake, big lake they call Kitchigumi. I did not work that melody out very well, but guess what? The mel the melody never plays a C or C sharp either, so that's not giving it away. So what's interesting about this music, and I think it's one of the things that makes it kind of hypnotic, you know, well, that in its 6-8 feel, and it's got this kind of like maritime, you know, old, uh, um, oh gosh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Shanty. Shanties, I think, is the word I'm looking for here. Um, but one of the things that's interesting about it is that it's kind of ambiguous. It's not major. It's not minor. And it has this kind of airy sound to it. Just like the sus2 chord, right?
There's some hints that maybe it's minor because you got the minor five chord, E minor, you got the flat seven G, but then you have the major four chord, D major, and so um, it's a little ambiguous. Now, there's also like a like a slide guitar, like a lap steel or, or a pedal steel or something in there. And it sounds like that guitar may be, um, let me grab a slide here. Desi, you should be more prepared um, for your own podcast here. I'm digging through my drawer here next to my desk. But it sounds like there's a guitar that's like... underneath in the background might actually be playing an A major chord shape with the C sharp in there. And if that's the case, then we have finally solved the mystery. It is in fact a Mixolydian mode that A would be major. But because most of the instrumentation and the vocals stay away from any type of C-sharp or C-natural, it's got an ambiguous sound to it. It's got that sus2 sound. Um, let's move on. It's in 6-8 time, so you'd count this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So it's got this kind of wilting, waltzy, swinging sort of uh, feel to it that makes it sound more like a shanty, um, I suppose. Um, now, those are the chord changes. By number, if you were like in, if you were going to track this song in Nashville and you got a chart, they would say one sus two. They would say minor five, then flat seven, four back to your one sus two. Now those are the verses. Um, for the intro when you have that lead guitar and then during the little interlude sections where that lead guitar comes back, the chord changes. Uh, well the bass stays on A and just does some kind of root fifth stuff like Not exactly like that, but it's just playing like some, some A's and E's, some roots and fifth. Basically, what's happening in the music during, that, during the lead section is the bass note is staying A. Um, you're kind of pedaling on that A. And the guitar plays A sus 2, and then it doesn't go to E minor. It goes to G6 with an A in the bass still. That would be G6 slash A, and then it goes to D major with an A in the bass still, and then back to it. So this is what the chords sound like during the little musical, uh, the lead section. Um, so by number, that would be one, flat seven, slash one, four, slash one, back to one. This adds more of the same. It's another element that adds to this song's unique sound. You know, the six, eight time, the sus two, the ambiguous tonality, and then holding that. holding that A note in the bass during some sections, you know, giving it almost like a, 
kind of a, a drone type feel um, from the styles of music that use um, the drone there. So I called this second chord here in this section G. There's a G major with an E on top, G6 slash A. But in some scores, it might actually just be written E minor 7 slash A because co coincidentally, the same notes would make, make up an E minor 7 chord. So maybe it's not G there. Maybe it's actually one, the one chord. Then you're going to the five chord E minor seven slash A. And then the four chord slash one. So it's, you know, you're kind of splitting hairs here. It's, it depends on how you look at it. The notes there make up either a G6 or an E minor seven. So whatever makes uh, most sense to you. Now, um, the song is actually played a whole step higher, so I'll put a capo at the second fret, and then I'll play through those same fingerings. By the way, you can learn these fingerings by watching the video that I posted to uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Just go search Edmund Fitzgerald, Desi Serna, and you'll find it. Make sure you follow me and subscribe and do all that good stuff. So, all right, here's the actual recorded key. And if you're like a lot of guitar players, you're going to put the capo on and you're, you're not going to think about the actual notes. You're going to think about the, the familiar chord fingering. So you're still going to think of that first chord as an A, an E minor, G, D, A. Or if you're like me and some other musicians, you realize that that's not A anymore. That's actually a B. So that's a B sus too. And this is actually a F sharp minor. This is actually an A, and this is actually an E. So it's B sus2, F sharp minor, A, E, B sus2. For that instrumental section, B sus2, and then I would think of this as like an A6 slash B, or F sharp minor 7 slash B, E slash B. Guitar players oftentimes don't think about the actual notes when they are capoing. Um, they just think about the common chord fingerings. But when you're trying to communicate with other musicians, a bass player or a piano player, that, and they're not using a capo, um, you better know how to communicate to them and tell them, play a B sus2, because that's what I'm actually playing here. Otherwise, there's going to be uh, a lot of confusion. I actually paused this recording. I switched guitars here, and I'm going to play the lead for you and talk about the lead. So let's do that. And I actually uh, recorded myself playing the acoustic guitar chords, and it's in the little looper that is built right into the foot controller that goes to the Kemper remote. So you're going to hear the acoustic, and then here's my lead sound. Let's go. So I'm playing my Bluesman Vintage Guitars Sedan. It's a Stratocaster style guitar. Um, I'm on the bridge pickup. 
I did roll off on the tone. This guitar is wired so I can roll off the tone on the bridge. Here's the tone all the way up. Here's the tone all the way down. So I don't want that much, but... That kind of takes away a little bit of that top high end. Sometimes, you know, single goal pickups in the bridge position on a Strat are kind of ice picky. So I'm rolling off the tone a little bit. Other than that, volume's all the way up. I'm playing through my Kemper. I'm using a profile of a 1967 Fender Pro Verb amp. And then I have, um, let's see, here's just the amp by itself, how it was profiled. There's some reverb on there. Then I added some delay. And that's kind of just an eighth note delay. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. You know, I mentioned the six-eight time signature, but I don't think I actually explained that. Six-eight means there are six eighth notes per measure. You count the eighth notes as the beat. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's what um, that means. And then I'm adding um, a, a boost. Is this a boost or an overdrive? What do I have on here? It is a boost. It's a boost just to push it more into overdrive. So here's without the boost. And here's with the boost. Let's try that with the tone all the way up on the guitar once. That actually sounds pretty good in my monitors here, but I bet when I listen back to the recording, I'm going to prefer that tone ruled off. So let me dial it back a little bit. All right, so um, I don't know exactly what was used to record the lead on the song. Um, it, the first thing that I thought of was the Strat, I thought, maybe. And I picked this because I have the, the, the trem system on it, so at the end there when I go... I can put some vibrato on there. Um, but I'm not entirely sure what was used, but I thought, okay, this sounds close enough. So that's how I would dial that in. I went through some different amp uh, profiles too that I had in the Kemper. And um, when I pulled up this 67 Pro Verb, which I've been using uh, recently, uh, and put some overdrive on it, I was like, yeah, all right. Sounds good to me. So... I don't always know exactly, I don't always try to use the same guitar or amp that was used in a particular recording, because oftentimes I don't know. Um, I just listen to the general sound, and I say, is it a humbucker, or does it sound like a single coil? Does it sound like a neck position pickup or a bridge pickup? Um, you know, does it have a thinner sound or a thicker sound? Is it, um, you know, a super bright uh, amp? Or is it a darker amp? Does it have more bass? Does it have more mid-range? And I just kind of try to find something that approximates the general tone without necessarily um, copying the settings exactly or, or fussing over like, oh, well, turns out it was recorded on a Fender Twin amp, so I have to use a Fender Twin profile. Not necessarily. I can find something that is very similar and just and has a similar tone and sound. And that's what I do. I just kind of try to ballpark it. And usually just ballparking it is, uh, is enough because you're in the ballpark and you don't really need to get any closer than that. So 
Remember, we are playing off of B, sus2. And as I discussed earlier with the acoustic guitar, um, the, uh, most of the instrumentation and the vocals never play a third. So we, we figured out that this is, must be like B mixolydian mode, but you stay away from the third. So here's the full B mixolydian mode. Now let me do that again minus the third. Again, so, uh, and that's what's happening in the lead line here. I begin with the root and a fifth, and then that's one, two, one, and this is flat seven to five, and then here's a major six into the flat seven, six, five. Five. If I keep going, so that's a bend from the fifth to the major sixth. Release. There's a fourth, fifth, one, and with the root and fifth. So do you see how it's actually using um, the whole scale, right? We use the we use the root. We use the second. And we used the fourth, fifth, sixth, major sixth, and flat seventh, but we never used a third. And there is some more lead guitar that's kind of noodling during the verses. And, you know, I didn't spend too much time on this, but I don't think it's ever playing a major third or minor third. And I think it's just staying away from it. And that's kind of, it's almost like this is kind of like its own mode because it's, it's Mixolydian, it's like Mixolydian Dorian, but without the third. Um, so that's what's happening here in the lead line. Um, and kind of a good lesson to pull away from this is if, you're, if you can't figure out if a song has a major third or a minor third and you're playing it and it doesn't seem, one does, neither one of them seems to mix right, but the other notes sound right, then stay away from the third. Plenty of melody and stuff that you can do with a, a root second, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Um, so, ooh, I've got some tab available in the video when I teach you the electric part, if you look up the video. And there's a half step bend in here. You bend the major sixth to the seventh. And then there's a whole step bend when you bend the fifth to the sixth. That's how you hear it at the beginning of the song. A little bit later, the lead adds, adds in a little bit more. It goes. Right here. Half step the bend again, and then. So again with that sixth, major sixth to the flat seventh, and then fifth to the sixth, and then even a. A pinky's holding a, fretting a B on the first string. So this song would be a good opportunity for you to practice the half step and the whole step bend, which is tricky. If you're used to always doing whole step bends, which are most common, so if you're in B minor, you know, you know. And then you go to play a half step bend, you 
so since you're so used to always doing whole step bends, you might actually overbend it. So, ooh, oh, no, it's just so subtle. You don't have to bend it that much, and you can practice by fretting the note that you're bending to, then using your ear to match it. this part that's a whole step bend that's the fifth to the uh, to the major major sixth F sharp to G sharp there so when you bend you got to use your ear you got to pay attention and you got to know when you've gone far enough or not far enough you also do I do get the feel of it there's like a muscle memory thing too you kind of get the feel of it but you got to have your ear uh, listening there. So. Can you tell how I fretted the notes first? Then I did my bends, and I'm trying to match those pitches that I just played. Try that too um, as you practice your bends. So, oh, that's really all I would say about the lead line here. Um, and there is a little bit of variation. I'm going to start my loop again. So, at the begin beginning of the song, you just have. And you just kind of have a space here, and you finish it. Then in later sections, you play. Instead of a space, you go half step bend, full step bend. And then in some sections, you just do part of it. You go. And it actually like goes straight into uh, another verse. That little interlude is cut short there. podcast number 140 is a wrap don't forget to check out the video i posted for this song on facebook youtube instagram and tiktok just search desi serna guitar search edmund fitzgerald desi serna if you just want to go directly to the video but uh when you find my profile be sure to like subscribe comment share and all of that good stuff the more interaction i get the more exposure i get for the content uh, that i make and if you haven't already signed up for a free video course at my website, go to guitarmusictheory.com. Answer the question I ask you about your playing, and I'll send you free custom video instruction that's calibrated to your current level. I can help put you on a plan to fill gaps in your knowledge and fill gaps in your playing, whether you still need to learn the basics, or you need help with bar chords, finger picking, lead guitar, or you want to delve deeply into music theory. So enroll in your free course now at guitarmusictheory.com. You can click on the link in the video description. 
All right, guitar engineers, thanks for listening. I'm Desi Serna. Before you go, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, give it a five-star rating, and leave a review if you can. Then keep playing and stay tuned for more.